0: Night Impact podcast. I am Tracy Purdy, and I believe that people are placed into our lives at every step in our life journey to be an integral part of our story. Here on the podcast, we will talk with individuals who have influenced me, helped me grow, nurtured me, inspired me, transformed my thinking, and enriched my life, and will do the same for you. We'll be covering a variety of subjects, so stay tuned to be inspired and encouraged. Today on the podcast, you get to meet Emily Speed. She is a professional organizer and the creator and CEO of the Organized Home Mindset. She started the Ohm after she left a career of 14 years in forensics to follow a path that brought more peace and joy into her life. She is inspiring people. By creating spaces in their homes and lives to live a more simplified, calm, and efficient life. She also has started a podcast that shares her experiences as a death investigator called Death Calls and offers a super fascinating inside look at what it takes to be in the forensic science field. I am so excited for you to get to know Emily. She is sure to inspire you just as she does me. Welcome Emily Speed. Thank you. Thank, thanks for carving out time in your crazy busy schedule with your boys and life and work and everything to come visit. Of course. I'm happy to be here. I love coming to your house. Thank you. Um, I knew the first time that we met that I would want to be friends with you. Like I just knew it. You just had this air about you like she's cool. We're gonna be friends. <laughs> but we first met when I heard about your organizing services that you provide through a friend. Callie is actually who I heard mm-hmm. about you three. But I remember opening my door and being like, where the heck do we even start? <laughs> and from the very beginning, you had this like calm about you that made it easy to figure out where to start in my chaotic mind and chaos in my home. So while I do want to talk about the OM, which is the organized home mindset. I would really like to start out with what brought you to the point of starting that. So are you okay with talking about your school background and history as a death investigator? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Did you like go into college? With the intent of being a criminal, like, investigator? Absolutely not. No? No. I actually,
1: when I graduated high school, I went to flight school. My dad is a, my dad's a retired captain. Okay. Um, Yeah, he flew for UPS for years. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to be just like my dad. And Mm -hmm. when he retires, I'm going to take his spot and I'm going to be, you know, a commercial Pilot, pilot as well yeah what? so I left when I graduated high school I went into flight school while I was getting my associate's degree okay and at that time like the the economy was terrible like some pilots were getting laid off and just I think there were a couple airlines that were going bankrupt
0: oh yeah and so
1: it just like I got my private pilot's license and then what? yeah I didn't know that yeah. okay so I got my private pilot's license and then I was like well I've I need to get a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. I had my associate of arts degree at that point, but I, you know, I was talking to my dad, like, I don't think I should get a degree in aviation or aeronautics or anything like that. So got to find something else that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. So I have kind of a plan B. Yeah. And so I went to University of West Florida and just started taking classes that I knew I needed, Mm -hmm. you know, like the required classes, but then... My dad suggested, Well, why don't you try an anthropology class? I feel like you might really like anthropology. Hmm. And so I took an anthropology class, and then that led to biological anthropology, and that led to forensic anthropology, and that led to human osteology, and uh, criminal justice, and forensic science. And it just was this
0: snowball. It was this
1: snowball of wait, I really, I really like this. I'm really more passionate about this than I thought I would be and it was when I was really in the human osteology course and I was learning all about the human skeleton and how you learn so much from just the bones on who this person was, Mm -hmm. how they lived, how tall were they, what is their race, what is their sex, what is their age range. All from their bones. All from their bones and I just thought okay that's amazing and that sparked something in me that I didn't know was even there, and so from there I pushed to get an internship, really? and I like begged my advisor, please put me at the medical examiner's office as an intern. Like I want to learn more about see what this. they do, see what they do, see if I could find myself in this field, and I kind of just made a place for myself. Honestly, really, yeah. So you did an internship. I did an internship. Um, that was my last course of college before I graduated with my bachelor's. Okay. And Which you got a
0: bachelor's degree in? Biological anthropology. Biological. What, what's another kind of anthropology? Like what's cultural anthropology? Okay. That's what I think yeah. of whenever I hear anthropology. Yeah. Like so the there's study like of people types. Exactly. And, yeah. Well,
1: and it's under the umbrella with anthropology is archaeology as well. Yeah, so okay. they all kind of go hand in hand. Okay. Um, they're all in the same department. Once I finished my internship, I, you know, just made sure, like, you guys have a job available, anything for me, I would love to work here. And that's ultimately and that's what, what happened. happened.
0: Yeah, Wow, that is so crazy. So I know what I imagine as a death investigator to be, like, from what I've seen on TVs and movies. Right. So is there, like, a myth or a misconception about that field that you could clear up from being on the inside and truly?
1: Oh, yeah. There's there's a, there's a ton. Yeah. Like, there's so many people that, there's so many people that love CSI and, mm-hmm. you know, Law and & Order and the true crime shows and, oh my gosh, I just want to pick your brain. Yeah. And I think that that's great because those shows brought a lot of people to the field. Yeah. You oh, know, I'm they sure. kind of woke up a passion in people they didn't know they had just by watching these shows. Unfortunately, sometimes when they come in the door as an intern or an employee, it's entirely different story. And some of them make it and some mm. of them don't. But yeah. there's a lot of differences. Like, I'm not going to go to the scene in high heels with my cleavage out and my hair down <laughs> and looking... <laughs> Like a supermodel going to stand over a dead body. Like it doesn't work that way. You right. know, I'm wearing combat boots and BDU mm. pants and my uniform shirt and my hair's tied up, you know, mm-hmm. but there's a lot more misconceptions on, you know, oh, everything is going to happen in 30 minutes. Mm. I have a DNA result in 30 minutes. I know exactly what was in his system right now just by this simple swab and It's so much more complicated than that. And I think in the years I did it, that was something that I was constantly fighting every single day. It's the CSI effect that really exists. Like people think people think
0: that you can get them answers like this is how it
1: works. And then I am the bearer of bad news. I'm like, Well, I'm so sorry. That's not how it works. We are gonna do a full autopsy. We have to do toxicology testing and We need to look at slides under the microscope. And there is a time frame or how long it'll take these things to get done. And it truly is weeks, months, you know,
0: whatever. And so you actually went to the scenes, you investigated. Was it always like a, well, when I think of an investigation, you, you are trying to figure out how that person died?
1: Right. So there's, basically I used to say, In a nutshell, I would investigate anything unnatural.
0: Unnatural.
1: Unnatural. So homicides, suicides, accidents. Uh. And then there are cases that it looks like they died a natural death, but they don't have any pre-existing medical conditions. Mm. So now that falls under the big question mark of how did they die. It might be natural, but we don't really know. That's the case that I would need to investigate as well. Most people think I'm only going to homicides because that's, you know, what the TV portrays. exactly. Yeah, but there's so many other cases. So much more. Yeah. So you
0: would would go to the scene, but then were you also that person that takes the body back to do the autopsies? How does that work? So we had a, a transport company, a removal service, that
1: once we got to the scene and we kind of assessed what we were looking at, then I would call my guys to come and remove the body. Okay. But the body would go back to where my office was, and that's where the autopsy would be done, and a lot of times I was pulling double duty, and I was also working in the autopsy suite and doing the autopsies with the doctors too.
0: Wow, that's insane. So misconceptions are that it is not it like is you see not on TV. a swift
1: <coughs> test that takes thirty minutes and it's going to be solved within this thirty minutes thirty span. minute TV show. Like it takes a lot longer than that, and yeah. unfortunately, there are some cases where there isn't an answer. And mm. those are the hardest ones that you can't give an answer to the family.
0: Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The
1: undetermined. Oh, I hated those cases.
0: What is something that you would like for people to know about this field that people might not necessarily know? It's a really hard job. I can only, I mean, it seems so abstract to me that, I'm, I mean, I know that those jobs are out there. Yeah. But to actually know somebody who has been in that position, like it just seems so far-fetched, I guess. I can't even imagine like the emotions that you have to deal with or that you have to put aside. Yeah. Like, how did you, how do you do that?
1: It's, it's being able to manage what you're seeing on a daily basis and not letting it affect your home life.
0: Mm. And I feel
1: like there was only so long that you could withstand that before, it starts affecting. It starts oh affecting everything because it's, you're seeing this trauma on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You're exposed to more death and dying than anybody normally will see in a lifetime. Right. And I'm seeing it every single day mm-hmm. and then going home to my family and trying to turn it off. Yeah. And so it's, I think it is, it is just a really hard job, especially for someone who wants to have a family life. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that I learned along the way because I started when I was single and, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't have any thoughts about having a family yet. And then, of course, I met my husband and as the years went on, I realized how difficult it is to be immersed in that field and be, you're doing it all the time, every single day at the top of your game and still trying to be the mom and the wife and that got really hard.
0: So... Dive a little bit more into the last couple of years as a death investigator that led you to know that you needed to leave the job and consider like a different path for you and for your family.
1: There are a couple instances that happened two in particular that really stood out. Um once I had Fisher, that's my second. Mm-hmm. Um I went back to work a little bit sooner. Uh, We were short-staffed. They needed me. I felt the pressure to kind of go back, and um, they wanted me to go back in the call rotation and start taking death calls. And when you're in the call rotation, I mean, you're taking phone calls 24 hours a day. Wow. Getting woken up in the middle of the night. You may have to leave your house and go to a crime scene, or you Mm -hmm. know, you just never know what the call's going to be until you answer it. And I fought that for a little while because I'm like, I have an infant. Yeah. It's... (laughs) you know, I'm, I was the supervisor of investigations. And Mm -hmm. so as a supervisor, you're not in the call rotation as often, but there was a need and they were like, we need you to go back on call. So I did. And there was one night I, I got home with my kids from work and you know, my husband's cooking dinner and we're all hanging out and I get this call and it's double fatality. Two motorcycles. Both drivers of the motorcycles died on scene, mm. and I needed to go to the scene. And so I left my house at dinner, before dinner, my kids with my husband, and I went to the scene. And normally it was like an automatic thing, you know? Yeah, you're just kind of. I'm in, in robe. The- I'm in robot mode. I'm going to the scene. Well, when I get there, it felt so different this time. And I looked, and it was like SUV. The person that. These motorcycles hit. It was a mom. She had just left the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Her groceries were all over the roadway. Mm-hmm. And she had a car kind of like mine, where in the back seat there were Duplo Legos and mm-hmm. there were kids' toys in the trunk. But on impact, they all kind of spread out in the road. And I'm looking at the Legos going, Whoa, whoa, we yeah. have the same ones. You know, like this mom just wanted to go home and feed her kids dinner. And instead, mm. these two motorcyclists, they had an impact. And so the two motorcyclists were racing, unfortunately, Ugh. and ended up hitting her SUV. And they both died on impact. When I was examining their bodies, I realized like one of them was a teenager.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: I know. One of them, like, I think he was 18 or 19. And then the other one was like a little bit older mm-hmm. in his 20s. But I'm like, man, you guys, your life just ended for what? Like that. And for what? Yeah. I know. And it's not only that their life ended and they were so, so young, but now she's impacted for the rest of her life right. as well. Yeah. And something about that scene, which felt so normal for me, mm. typically. Right. I got home and I was like, walked in the door and I couldn't shut it off. You know, mm. it used to be I would walk in the door, let me turn it off, let me hang out with my family but and I, you were still in it. I was it. in it. Yeah. I was in it. And so I couldn't turn it off. So that was one of the first ones where I was like, okay, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. The next one is the one that took the cake. The next one is the one where I was like, and I'm putting in my letter of resignation.
0: What? Tell.
1: So Fisher, my youngest, I think he was like three months old. I'm still nursing him. Oh my gosh. And... <laughs> In the nursery, I have like a full size bed and it's like our guest bed. But when I was nursing him around the clock, I was sleeping in the guest bed because yeah. it was just easier, easier to you check. know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was on call one night, put fish to bed. I get in bed. Everybody goes to sleep. It's two o'clock in the morning and I get a death call and it's a homicide and I have to go. I'm still nursing. Mm. So I pick him up, feed him. Put him back down. Get my uniform on. I go tell my husband, hey, I got to go to a homicide. I just fed Fisher. He should sleep the whole night. Mm -hmm. Left the house with my pump. Yeah. Pumped on the way to the homicide. Go to the homicide. I'm there for maybe two hours. Two and a half hours. Leave. Come home. Mm -hmm. And by this point, I'm pumping again. And I get home and it's... Now I'm home and I have to be mom, but I also have to write my report. I also have to prep (sighs) for the autopsy the next day. Mm -hmm. Like what information does the doctor need to know? You know, it's now I'm trying to think with two different people. Like it's the work me and it's the mom me and -hmm. they're usually like not at the same time. Right. And so I come home, I feed him again, put him back down. Now I'm on my laptop computer and I'm writing my report. Mm -hmm. And I'm putting all of the information in our database so the morgue staff have it in In the the morning morning, to set up for the autopsy. Finish my report, uniform comes off, jammies go back on, I lay in the bed. I swear it was 45 minutes and then my alarm goes off. 30, 45 minutes and that was it. And now it's like... Okay, time time to start the day. Let me pack the kids' lunches, get them dressed. Oh, my goodness. I have to be at the office before 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. You know, autopsies usually start at that time. And at that moment, I got out of bed and I was like, I can't live like this. Yeah. This is not sustainable for me. Yeah. You know, not to mention just as a mom trying to feed your child stress like that made my milk production go down. Oh, yeah. And so now I feel the mom guilt of I can't even feed my kid the Mm. way that I should because I'm so stressed about this job. And at that point, I was just like, okay, going to have to do something different. I have to do something.
0: Yeah. You have spoken to me about how yoga played a role in you. I guess, transitioning mm-hmm. or figuring out that you needed to do something different. How did that help you?
1: I was a personal trainer for a while, mm-hmm. and I
0: love yoga.
1: Yeah. And yoga for me was a big helper in managing the stress. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got really, really stressed out at work, I would leave at lunchtime, and I would go to the yoga studio up the road for their lunchtime really class. Yeah. Um, and I did that for a while, but then – I realized, like, you know what? I think I just want to become a yoga teacher. So hmm. I went to a yoga teacher training. Oh, cool. And at first I did, like, the 200-hour yoga teacher training. And that more teaches you about all of the poses and how to, you know, mm-hmm. you know the practice. But it didn't really give me the confidence to stand up and teach. But it's because I didn't dive into myself. Mm. So then the 300-hour yoga teacher training was the next step. I knew it was going to be one that was more self-reflective. Mm-hmm. You do a lot of personal work, right? And so I did that teacher training, and it was through the process of it wasn't just learning how to teach and learning about the poses. It was learning about yourself and learning about well. And it's in order to teach other people right. how to do it, you, you have, have to know
0: how about to yourself. That. Yeah. Oh my goodness.
1: And so it was. So such a experience of becoming more self-aware mm. that through that process, I realized, I think I'm going to quit my job. Yeah.
0: And I did. And you did. And I did. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. I love yoga too. Mm. So that's, is that where you got your name from? Yeah. How did you come up with that? Okay. So I get the best ideas when I'm driving
1: huh. and I drive all over the place uh-huh. okay. for work. I was driving home. I don't even remember what I was doing, but I was just playing with the idea in my mind of, you know, I had already started organizing for a couple mm-hmm. of friends and it was like a word of mouth thing. And I decided, well, I guess I'm going to do this as a business, hmm. but I have to have a name. Yeah. Like, but I started thinking about how yoga is so good for your body mm-hmm. and the poses help the energy flow and mm-hmm. your body and your mind. And I started thinking, well, organizing is like yoga for your house. It's true. It is. It's once you get rid of the clutter, you know, when you have an organized space in your home, you walk in there and it's like you can take a deep breath. It's so true. You know? <laughs> and it's because the energy is no longer stagnant. Hmm. You've moved out the clutter because the clutter isn't just things. It's it's so much more than that because it's so psychological. Right. And so I started thinking about, oh, man. It's organizing is like yoga for your home. And then I just kind of started playing with words and I started saying home, ohm. And then I just started. The ohm. The ohm started from that. And then I realized, well, nobody's going to know what the ohm is unless I give it the actual words. And it's the organized home mindset, the ohm.
0: Yeah. I love it. So it was much. it was it's just so a fitting. play on
1: words and and ideas when I was driving is where I came and up with. And how
0: early. you got to that. That's so yeah cool. Well, I have experienced what you have to offer people with the ohm and I truly believe that it can be life changing for people. Why do you feel like people have such a hard time? letting go of things and struggle with getting their space organized and peaceful like why is it such a struggle I think there's different levels Mm -hmm. so you have
1: somebody that you know is just a busy mom they have kids they have a career It's like a time issue it's a time issue Mm -hmm. and then when they do have time off They don't want to spend it cleaning and organizing their house. They want to have time with their family. Mm -hmm. So there's like one where it's just, you know, those are the clients that are like, oh my gosh, it's probably the worst thing you've ever seen. And I'm like, this is nothing. Right. But let's get you a system, you know.
0: Yeah. I love that you're all about the systems. And not all about, you have to get rid of everything, but like, let's go through what things that are not serving you and come up with a system for the things that we have left. Absolutely. Like, I love that. What What did you learn as a death investigator that led you to be able to help people in this way? I went into
1: so many homes. Mm-hmm. This is the part of death investigation that was so intimate yeah. that it was just, it ended up being so intimate because I'm going into people's personal spaces if somebody's deceased in a bedroom, they're in their bed, it's my job to figure out what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Are they taking their medications regularly? Where are their medications? Are they using illicit drugs? Where are these? I mean, you're opening up drawers and you're going in the closet and you're looking... You're
0: digging through people's lives. You're like.
1: digging through people's lives. And death does not discriminate. And so I'm in low-income homes. I'm in drug houses. I'm in ritzy houses Mm -hmm. I'm it's from all across the board it doesn't matter who you are when you die it was my job to investigate it and so I got to really see inside of people's lives and you know a lot of people you know that you never see inside their house what they portray to you is what you think their life is like Mm -hmm. it is so different and so I started kind of taking mental notes of you know the type of psychological effect, like hoarders have, yes. and clutter does, and and how you never know by somebody's perception how they're truly living, mm-hmm. and until you go into their home, until their you go into space. their home, and I think I just was exposed to so many homes mm-hmm. and realized that the majority were so cluttered, really, the majority were so cluttered. And it took me because I had to dig through to find information that I needed. Mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, if I'm doing this in all of these houses, just to try to find an address book or their doctor's information, or, yeah, you know their prescription medications, how are they able to find anything when they get up in the morning? Mm. you know, right. And so I think it was like a subconscious where it was starting to be ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't
0: even realize it when I was investigating all those deaths. And then once you got out of it, you were like, Whoa, yeah. I've got to help people. Yeah. Be able to prepare. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh you mentioned hoarders. I, I find that show fascinating. <laughs> Do you watch it ever? No, I can't. You can't. Uh uh-uh. Why? I don't know. Well, and it's I think it's
1: just like people used to ask me all the time when I worked Can you watch CSI? No. No, See, and people ask me when I was a death investigator, "Hey, what's your favorite true crime show?" And I said, "I don't watch them because it's why would I want to entertain myself with my work with what you do every day?" Right. So when I left work, I want to watch a romantic comedy or a stand-up something funny. I want to watch something funny or something romantic or. I don't want to watch anything that feels like I'm at work. Mm -hmm. And so I would say it's the same thing with hoarders. I don't want to watch anything that feels like I'm at work.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's a good... You were talking about this psychological effect. How how do you think somebody gets to that point of the clutter being like to that extreme? Oh, yeah. It's... Well, and you asked this question earlier about... Why do people
1: hold on to stuff? Yeah. You know, and there there are different levels, Mm -hmm. but the ones that are at the level where they truly are so overwhelmed and they start hoarding, you know, for someone to get to that place, there's something else happening. Right. They're filling a void Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. purchases or there's something that they're holding on to because of sentimental, but then all of a sudden everything becomes sentimental, you know? And it's, it's so much deeper than just
0: the stuff. So how do you, how do you help somebody work through that process? If they're to that extreme like that, what are the steps that you would help them walk through to be able to start eliminating some of that just stuff? Well, number one, they have to be ready. Mm
1: -hmm. I have had family members hire me Mm -hmm. when they're,
0: When they're ready, but not When they're ready,
1: but the actual person isn't ready. And it's a struggle and it's hard and it's uncomfortable and they aren't ready to let things go, but it wasn't their idea. If somebody Mm -hmm. reaches out to me because they're drowning and they're so overwhelmed, they don't even know where to start, Mm -hmm. it's so much different for me because I come in with an objective point of view. Nothing in this house is like a, an emotional attachment for me right. at all, right? So I have the ability to talk you through what is this? Why are we holding on to this? Mm-hmm. And it is a very long process if somebody has like a deep.
0: Sentimental. Yes. If life. it
1: is, they are holding on to it for so many reasons, then we start to weed through all of that together. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, okay, so why do we have this? Are you using it? Mm-hmm. Do you love it? Do you need it? And if not, why are we keeping it? Right. And a lot of it is, well, it's out of obligation. It was a gift and I feel really bad or it belonged to my mother. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so many reasons, but then what we can do is we kind of come to a compromise. Okay. So if this came from your mother's house, what else came from your mother's house? And let's talk about what is actually going to give you a good memory of your mom versus Just keeping everything. Versus a box of magazines. You know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, What would be more sentimental for you is to keep your mom's dress or to keep the magazines that were on her bedside table. Right. You know, and so it's getting... Talking through that. It is talking through it, and it gets to be very difficult, but it's once you get past a certain point, Mm -hmm. and they get comfortable with me, and they start to learn my process, and they just follow my lead, I find that towards the end of the visit they really
0: get it. It's a relief to you. Yeah. yeah. So what do you do for those people who need like, like I remember contacting you and being like, I don't really know where to start. Right. Like how do you help somebody narrow down? Like, let's just start in this small space. Do yeah. you, do you walk through like walking into a room? This room makes you the most anxious or how do you? Yeah.
1: So I usually like to do like a home visit when somebody says, My entire house is cluttered. I I don't know where to start. Some people call me and they're like, I want you to do my pantry. I want you to do my closet. Okay, those are easy. Yeah. But it's when somebody's like, I don't know where you should start. Mm -hmm. I like to do a home visit first so we can figure out what room in this house is bringing you the most stress. Yeah. What do you use the most? Mm -hmm. Like, are you starting your day horribly because you can't find anything Mm -hmm. you know or is it you can't sleep well at night because your whole bedroom is cluttered right so it's it's kind of doing a home visit and trying to help them see which one is going to make them feel the best Yeah. starting the process starting there and then we can move on to a different space but I think it's trying to find one space at a time
0: yeah because having that perspective of oh she's gonna come in and just you know magically do the magically whole house. do everything <laughs> no that's not realistic right no huh? um I do love that you are finding a focus on being able to help the older generation be able to go through their things to help better prepare their families to have to go through things at at some point. After their passing, which people don't want to talk about. Oh, yeah. It's, about it's it.
1: talking <laughs> about death and dying. I'm very comfortable with it because I've talked about it for so many years. Right. The majority of society...
0: Is not
1: Is not comfortable uh-uh. because it's facing their own mortality, mm, mm-hmm. you know. And something that I have learned through my previous career is it could happen at any time. Yeah. And when somebody dies the family has to deal with whatever is left over yeah and if it's a cluttered home and a hoarder's house and i mean even from the point of somebody dying the next of kin is going to need what's the social security number
0: yeah where are they going to find that Mm -hmm. where are they going to find that
1: well if i want to have a funeral i need to have money did they have life insurance policy where's the paperwork on that Mm -hmm. where's the bank account information is there like mortgage payments due how do i even know who the mortgage lender is right. i mean it's all of those specific information that somebody needs mm-hmm. and they're going to be digging through a cluttered home just trying to find one piece of paper
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so i started realizing how can i merge my past experience and yes. my pre and my current job and really feel like i can take knowledge from from one and make a difference with the
0: other and i feel like you're doing that well thanks yeah i mean in helping well in helping everyone giving people a system or a plan Mm -hmm. to be able to say hey family if anything ever happens this is where all
1: of this information is and it's doing like a decluttering Mm -hmm. in your older years because if you're very cluttered it's not your clutter anymore it's everybody else's that has to deal with it when you're gone.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like having an out- outsider's perspective coming into your home can feel alien or like mm-hmm. intimidating. Intimidating? Yeah. Yeah, or like you're invading oh yeah, my space. Yeah. But after the fact and walking through all of that, I could see how that it's just such a relief.
1: Well, and I find that I am more more welcomed Mm-hmm. than their own family. Because with the family comes judgment. Mom, Mom yeah. why do you have to hold on to this stuff? Mom, what are we doing? You know, right. it feels like you're being scolded. Mm. This eliminates that. This eliminates that feeling of judgment, that feeling of being, you know, mothered by your child or mm-hmm. being scolded for having a cluttered home or right. the things that you purchased. I think they bringing me in... As somebody separate that says, okay, we don't really need to hold on to this. Right. But it's, yeah, I think I'm just more welcomed than Mm. their own family because I am. interesting perspective, yeah. um, I'm not biased at all.
0: Right. One of the things that I was drawn to you whenever looking at your website to book you to come tear apart my laundry room, which I'm so grateful for. Don't go look (laughs) at it right now. But... Is what you do with your donations. Oh, yeah. I love that. Will you tell us about that and how did you decide to do that?
1: Well, I know is one of my favorite parts of the Mm. job is when I declutter somebody's house Mm -hmm. and they have bags and bags of things they're getting rid of. I have this cute little trailer that I like to bring with me and I fill it up with their donations. And when I leave, the donations leave too instead of like bags sitting in your
0: garage. Yes, or in the back of your car Or the back of
1: your car for three weeks Uh to three months or whatever. And I didn't want to just drop it at Goodwill for you. Yeah. Because anybody can drop things at Goodwill and once you drop it there, you have no idea. Is this actually helping somebody? Mm -hmm. Is this actually me giving back? Or is this putting more money in the CEO of Goodwill's pocket? Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? You don't know. You don't know. And I think when people have a hard time getting rid of things, usually it's because, well, one of the main reasons is they've invested money in it. Well, it was so expensive. Well, yeah, but you're not using it. Right. So something that I found encourages people to let things go more is when I find a family or Mm -hmm. have an organization locally that really could use it. Yeah. So I decided to kind of start diving into our local area to see, you know, where... Nonprofits or... Yeah, where are the needs? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I found... So I found, like, there are a couple places that I love to donate to. Mm -hmm. And one is The Secret Place Home, which is an advocacy center for victims of sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. And I think they have girls from age, like, 15 to 25. Wow. And so they have this blessing boutique that... I love to contribute to. Yeah, when I do women's closets and I clean out, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to bring items and a lot of them still have tags on them. Wow. To them, I mean, they're so incredibly grateful, right? And the girls get so excited when mm-hmm. they get to go shopping in there and there's, you know, brand name things with tags on them that they normally would never be able to to get, right? Um, but then I look into other organizations like the Alfred Washburn Center, which Close the homeless and mm-hmm. then there's Maxwell Respite Center. I mean, there's a couple of really great organizations where when I give to them, mm-hmm. they don't have to buy it.
0: Right. You know? Yeah. And I think that makes a big difference because there's not a Yeah, I love loved that that you take our things that we are that are no longer serving us. And you sort them yeah. based on the needs in the area. I, th- I just think that's so cool. I know that your donation bin that yeah. you sell, it's such a simple concept. But well, it's been a hit at my house. Yeah, And now that I have two, it's like even cooler. Now my kids know where the bins are. And if they find something that doesn't fit or that needs to be donated, they know exactly where it goes. Like, Uh, It doesn't leave any room for questioning, do I need this or do I not? Because there's a place for it. Yeah. And I know that you'll come pick it up. Yeah. And you'll take it to wherever is needed. Tell us how you came up with the bin concept.
1: Well, so just like anybody else, I'm in my closet and I'm getting ready one day and I put on... Um, I think it was like a pair of jeans, and they mm-hmm. just did not fit comfortably. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. you kind of put it on, and you look in the mirror, and you're like, oh, "I don't feel really good about myself right now. Mm-hmm. This doesn't feel good. It yeah. you feel a little funky." Uh-huh. And so, I took the jeans off because I'm like, "I'm not wearing those today." Then I started thinking, "Well, where as, am I?" Right as I fold them up and put them back on my shelf, uh-huh. well, what what am I going to do with those? In like three more weeks, I'm going to try them back on and probably feel exactly the same way because. Right. They just don't flatter me, Uh right? So I started thinking, well, I just need to create something where anytime I try something on that doesn't fit, I don't Mm -hmm. like, instead of hanging it back up and repeating that whole process, put it in the bin right then. Yeah. And then have a place for it. Have (laughs) a place for it. Make more room in your closet. And then you become more consciously aware of the donation bin in your house. Mm -hmm. And it's like... I grab my bin and I walk through my house like, what do we not need? Yes, right now. You know, and I my know. boys are used to it now, at uh-huh. least my oldest. He's yeah. like, mommy, we can donate this. We don't yes. use this anymore, you know? Uh-huh. And it just helps to eliminate the clutter and the stuff that you don't need.
0: Yes. Yeah. I love it. And my kids love it. And my husband loves it. He's like, I think it's kind of full in there. Finally. <laughs> well, you
1: think about it. You have a laundry basket yep. where all the laundry goes. You have a trash can where the trash goes. You have a recycling bin where the recycling goes. I think we need a donation bin where your donations go. Because everybody has stuff in their house they don't need. That's so true. So true. And it's
0: so cute. And I'm going to put her link to purchase the bin in my blog and everything. Thank you so much for everything that you do. You are inspiring people to truly look at their material things and to question whether or not It's actually serving them and their families. I know that there are so many people out there like me that know what needs to get done, but get totally frozen in -hmm. that process of making decisions. Thank you for your frankness at times. Is that even (laughs) a word, frankness? I think so. I just made it one. When I've struggled to make the decision, but also the grace and understanding for when I haven't been able to let go of certain things. You have a true gift of communication with a gentle yet persuasive, (laughs) very persuasive, that makes you get to the true reason behind the clutter and the disorganization. I appreciate this aspect of our friendship, but even more so, I am thankful for your encouragement in life. And in the podcasting world. And I'm just grateful to know you and use your gifts for my family to work towards living a simplified and more efficient home life. And I can't wait to have you come back and tackle our garage. (laughs) I'm ready for that. Oh, yes. Lastly, to finish up. What is one thing that a person has said or done for you that you believe changed the trajectory of your life? So I'll tell you. I don't believe it was one person. Mm -hmm.
1: It was like all of my cases. Mm. So all of the deaths I've investigated. Yeah. it really and truly, it's not even the people that were deceased. It was the family members that I spoke to. Really? Uh, Yeah. It was all the family members I've spoken to over the years. It's like the same message over and over and over again. And the message really is you never have enough time. Mm. And... I was the one that was on the phone with them after their loved one died, and I got to explain to them what the cause and manner of death is and what happens now and how can I help you through this process. But it was talking to the families and learning that it doesn't matter how old they were. It doesn't matter if they were sick and they knew it was coming and they were on hospice or they were young and they died in a tragic accident. The message is still the same. You never have enough time, and I think – once I actually started paying attention to those conversations mm. and really leaning into that part of my job, yeah, that's when I realized like, okay, so am I happy here doing what I'm doing? Right. And if I'm not, you, know, you never have enough time. Why am I going to waste my time here? If you're not. If I'm not personally being fulfilled and it's not serving me and I am losing peace and I'm not having joy here. So it was... Finally listening to the family members and realizing like, wow. I got to make use of my time. I have to make <sighs> use of my time. And if I'm miserable right now, what can I do to change it? Mm. So
0: I would say it was the families. Yeah. That's amazing. What a That's a really cool perspective on a cool background. It, Thanks. It's amazing to see how everything like full circle has worked together to yeah see where you have... And truly,
1: I feel like I've just been kind. I mean, I hate the go with the flow. I am not a go with the flow person. Me
0: neither.
1: I'm a planner. Uh-huh. I am a prepper. <laughs> yep. I, I like to have a mission. I like mm-hmm. to have a plan. But I feel like just this entire transition for me has been more of me trying to go with the flow than I ever have before. So it's very uncomfortable for me. But it's bringing you joy. But it is bringing me joy. That's
0: awesome. Yeah that's so cool well thank you again i love you i love you too this thanks was for so letting fun. me come over this was great absolutely we'll do it again for sure and next time i'm gonna um have you work next time for I'm, me <laughs> next time i'm gonna stay yes. and organize <laughs> yes 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 thanks so much you're welcome thank you so much for listening if you have been enjoying our episodes and you would like to help support the podcast Please share the episodes with others. Make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you listen and leave a rating or review. It means the world to me. To catch up on all the latest from me, you can follow me on Ignite Impact Podcast on Facebook and sign up for my weekly newsletter at IgniteImpactPodcast.com. Thanks again and until next time.